Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, it's Lance, your host of yesterday's concert. Before we get this episode started, I want to take 25 seconds to tell you about my other show, Jam Journals. Jam Journals is a podcast that takes you on a journey through music history, featuring live performances from some of the most iconic concerts of all time. Each episode recounts a different concert experience, through a dramatic narrative that brings the memories to life with vivid detail and emotion. Join us as we take a trip down memory lane of some of the most unforgettable concerts in recent history. Jam Journals is available everywhere you get podcasts. Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I I just try to write with a lot of depth and quality that I don't want things to be disposable and... I mean, this album's a bit different because we definitely, like, this new album's a bit different because we definitely made it bigger on purpose because we didn't want to do the whole lo-fi thing as much anymore. But, you know, like, like this band is kind of, sometimes it'll take a couple of listens, I reckon, to, like, appreciate us. So it's like a slow burn. Like, a lot of the elements in it are quite subtle. And that's what I work for, really. Grab your earplugs for another episode of Yesterday's Concert, a podcast that celebrates live music. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode we talk to Romy Vega of RVG. We discuss RVG's new album, Brainworms, the vulnerability of crafting intense and honest music, and a renewed band. Plus, Romy schools me on The Cure. So I'm here with Romy Vega. We're going to talk about the fantastic new RVG album, Brainworms. But before we do that, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. My day's just started. So uh... my day is winded down. Yours is starting. This is just the perfect picture of a rock star life that is a slave to the grind. So as we were talking about before we started recording. So it is what it is, but that's cool. I'm happy for you that you're living a better life than I am. So anyway, as is tradition on the show, we like to start with some icebreakers, but I'm going to do things a little different for yours. I've never done it like this before. So you get to be my guinea pig here. I base all of your questions off Instagram photos. So that's how I came up with all these questions. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then you don't know your own photos very well. So that's okay. So the first one was a photo of you in Birmingham sitting on the Black Sabbath bridge. What is your (laughs) favorite Black Sabbath song? Oh, God. My favorite Black Sabbath album is volume four. I reckon it's probably like, you know, the, is it the Wheels of Confusion that goes into like the straightener? Is that the one? Like the opening of Volume 4? It kind of goes, dun 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 d
That's yeah. my favorite. My that's my favorite moment. Black Sabbath moment for sure. That's very cool. Very cool. I love it. Okay, so next question. I saw a photo of you and R two D two. So, what's your favorite Star Wars movie? It's got to be Empire. That's definitely Empire. Everyone's it's the best favorite. one. It's the best one. There's no doubt. Andor is bloody amazing. Have you seen Andor it is. yet? Yes, it's, it's fantastic. So cool. Loved it. Such a slow burn. Yeah. It pays off. I was all Disneyed out, and I watched it, and I was like, "Oh, this is actually really good." Yes. Pulled you right back in. Now you can be disappointed again for the next one. Yeah. So it's fantastic. Okay. So next question. You had a European gig poster that had alien spacecrafts on it. Do you believe in aliens? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I'd like to. I mean, it's just like just practical, the size of the universe. I mean, it's just practical, but do I believe in those kind of aliens? I don't know. You made the pro case with the size of the universe. What's the what's the con case? Why wouldn't there be aliens? Well, there is this theory. I was watching this great TED talk about it ages ago. There's this theory that, like, I think that it'll be so rare to kind of get to, the, like, that point in civilization where you can um, develop space travel. So aliens is fine. Aliens make sense, but societies sort of collapse before they get to space travel. And so... That's the, so, so something I listened to and I was kind of like, oh, okay, maybe. I mean, there's yeah. probably life on other planets, but there's like, is there people, is there like a kind of Star Trek thing, you know? I don't I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> so you're telling me R2-D2 isn't real. Is that like, you're breaking my heart right now if that's the case. I've met him. He's, he's quite real. <laughs> okay, well, then there we go. I feel better now. Fantastic. Okay, so fourth question. You opened for Kurt Vile on some shows. Is there any song that you think you could out-guitar him on? Oh, I don't know. We play guitar very differently. I'll tell you one thing. He tours with so many guitars. I don't doubt that at all. It's insane. It's like just like 30-something guitars on like a tour of Australia. And it was, I swear he only used about five. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Yeah, but I don't know. I know. We play a different thing. I think if you're, if you're coming against like Celtic goth jangly music, then I'd beat him. But if you're going against like his kind of folky psychedelic stuff, then he would beat me. Okay. Well, then there we go. That's perfect. Okay. So you're a Cure fan, right? Yeah. Okay. So I've never given them a proper chance. I feel like I've never really gone down that road. I've heard like Boys Don't Cry and a few other songs, but I've really never gone down that road. Where should I start? Like, what should I do? Like, how do I get into the cure? Again, coming to you as a dumb Tennessean. Mm, that's a good question. I really like the two albums, Faith and Pornography. I think they're my two favorite. And I feel like I, I, that's, if, if you don't, don't like them, then... I'm not going to get into the cure. Well, they go through different stages, but that's my favorite stage. I think start off with Faith, ease your way into Pornography. And then if you like that, then there's, there's heaps more. Okay, perfect. I've heard Faith is like a good one, and I did. I've heard, I've seen pornography, and I, I that that phrase came out weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've seen the album Pornography, and I, I've heard. Is it a little bit of a like? It's not the most accessible Cure album. Like it's a little more different. Well, it's just very intense. I think. Okay. Like whereas Faith is lighter, and they were. It's it's a very intense record. It still is intense. And I just think that sometimes it's not for everybody, you know, it's like people like different parts of that band. You know, some people like the kind of the poppy stuff more. Some people like the really early post-punk 
more some people like the goth stuff or you know but faith's kind of a combination of like the post-punk stuff and the goth stuff i think yeah well so when did you first hear those two albums do you have vivid recollections of those two albums yeah sort of um there was when i was growing up when i was a teenager down the side of um we have this thing in adelaide rundle mall which is like a walk through mall but down the side there was like this shitty cd shop that sold like kind of three packs of cds for ten dollars and they had like a three pack of the cure and this is how i got into all my music because it was like i didn't have much money so if i ever bought an album it was like three for ten dollars it's how i got into like sisters of mercy i bought caius uh there was david bowie you know but there's the cure one had like faith pornography and the top and so i remember buying that and that's kind of like that's kind of what started me on, on listening to the cure just that's very cool <laughs> But I mean, it's funny because like that's, I heard somebody talking about like during the CD era, it was like, even if you bought a CD and it sucked, like you were going to be determined to like it because you spent money on it. Like, and especially like back then it was like 20 bucks a CD or whatever. So it was like, you're going to like it no matter what, because you probably don't have enough money to go buy another CD. I have so many albums that like, I just love now, even though they're crappy albums, because I spent the money on it and listened to it a thousand times as a teenager. I get that. I agree. I agree. I think it's, it's a... It's a very different way of listening to music now. I don't like CDs anymore, but I like vinyl still. For that like I still sometimes, especially like locally, you know, I give things more of a chance if I if I have it on a vinyl player and listen to it. Mm-hmm. I'm the same way. And that's I read an interesting article. It was like last year sometime about a guy. He kind of like we were talking about. He was so overwhelmed with all the music on streaming that he he was dedicated to listening to one album per week. So anytime he wanted to hear music, he would only listen to that one album. And so he was talking about, he made it like a month or two, like he didn't make it very long. And it was like, he talked about like all the like surprise releases and stuff. And he was like, I couldn't listen to it until next week or whatever it was. I've kept that article favorited just because I'm like, like it's so foreign to how we engage with music today. So, let's, okay, let's just jump into the conversation then. How does that affect how you approach writing music then with that kind of mindset? Uh, I don't think about that. I don't think about that. I do the complete opposite of that, really. I try. I just try to write with a lot of depth and quality that I don't want things to be disposable. And I mean, this album's a bit different because we definitely, like, this new album's a bit different because we definitely made it bigger on purpose because we didn't want to do the whole lo-fi thing as much anymore. But, you know, like, like this band is kind of, sometimes it'll take a couple of listens, I reckon, to, like, appreciate us. It's like a slow burn. Like, a lot of the elements in it are quite subtle. And that's what I work for, really. Hmm. Well, see, it's interesting you say that because the first time I listened to Brainworms, it was the very first song on the album. It was, I'm not, like, I've said it on this show a ton. Like, I'm not very much a lyrics guy. Like, it's not something that I gravitate towards. I hear it more, like, I hear vocals more as, like, just an added instrument in the mix. But when I was listening to Brainworms, I was caught off guard because it was like your words and your voice were forcing me to reckon with what you were saying. Like I, I was working, I had it on the background and it kept pulling me in. What do you think it is about your lyrics and your writing specifically that does that? I don't know. I guess I've been working on it for a very long time. I think like I've always been very interested in lyrics more so than everything else maybe. And so I think especially like playing live over the years and like different things a long time now, like I've kind of developed ways to capture people's attention I suppose like I know how to draw people in like if people are talking when I'm playing I can sort of 
get bigger or get more. I've found this skill and yeah, it kind of that's how it it's kind of how it works on the records as well. I've kind of just like me honing some sort of craft I've been doing for a long time. Okay, so that's interesting because that's one of my pet peeves at concerts is people talking. What do you do that like pulls people back in and gets them to shut up? I don't know. It's sort of like talking to a child. <laughs> it's like it's like the way you're singing, it's like I just know how to grab people's attention, I guess. I guess I know how to just raise my voice in a way when I'm singing that will that people will kind of go, Oh, what's going on here? It works really well. But it's just hard to explain. It's a subtlety, it's a just a way of using your voice. Hmm. So getting back to brainworms and kind of starting this, tell me about the writing process behind this album. What did is it you started during the pandemic, correct? Yeah. Yeah. But you didn't like you were not in writing mode per se, working on an album when it kind of started manifesting. No, no, I wasn't. There was a long time between writing the songs for the last record, the second record, and then it finally being released that I was just holding on to a kind of energy with the songs. And I was like, I'm going to start writing, just let go of that energy after the album had come out. Because I knew that like I, you know, even though I was a bit sick of the songs at that point in time, I just knew that like I had to hold on to something before. Yeah. But then the album came out obviously during a global pandemic. So you had to kind of finish that energy, run a circle around it. So I started properly like after that. It was just kind of like bits and pieces, really. I can't write under pressure. So it's just kind of like I would literally just be sitting in this room, pick up a guitar and start to think about stuff and then put a drum machine behind it. And that might be like once a month, you know? <laughs> yeah, there was just no, yeah, it was just, it just took my time with it. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's interesting too, because like, what was the headspace that you were entering as those songs kind of started coming to you? Was it, I mean, obviously pandemic looming at least near somewhat. So what was kind of the headspace as you were writing? We released the second album the first month of the pandemic. And I was kind of like doing a whole bunch of stuff for that. And then that kept me busy for a tiny bit and then just nothing, you know? And so I kind of got a bit depressed after that. I mean, Melbourne had a very long pandemic. I don't know what it was like where you were, but we had, I think 270 days of lockdown in the end. We had like, at the end of it, we had like six lockdowns. It's like one of the most lockdown places in the world. And so the first one was tough and we had a little tiny break of two weeks and it felt like the band might be able to play or something. And then, then we went back inside and <laughs> kept doing that for about two years. So it was frustrating, but yeah, I mean, there was no pressure. The thing I liked about it the most was there's no, there was no pressure to, to write anything. I just wrote myself and I kind of got my shit together a bit mentally and I exercised and I kind of did a lot of stuff for myself that I hadn't been doing maybe because I'd been working so hard with this band and like touring and stuff before then. Was there like a sense of freedom in having the previous two albums behind you? Like you were kind of looking at like a fresh state slate. Was that like, was that what you were kind of experiencing? Yeah, definitely. I think this whole album was just like, just, I just wanted to do something different. There's a definitely like a marked difference between the first two records and this one. A lot of it's because like I took more of a lead in the band, whereas like I was like, this is what I want to do this time around and stuff, which I hadn't kind of done previously. But it was definitely like a fresh start. It felt like a fresh start 
we didn't have anything to lose really we didn't have any pressure felt like a new band a bit well you're talking about like taking control and forging ahead as the lead like what was that kind of like that feeling of having control of your art in that regard i mean was it a the previous albums were they democratic in how you wrote them and you just kind of can you talk about that you see where i'm going yeah sort of i think like i'd write the skeleton stuff but as for like sound and stuff i'd be like you figured that part out kind of thing. And we had like a, a previous member in the band who kind of took a lot of the lead and for better or worse. And we kind of just did things that way because he was the most experienced out of us. But this time around, like I kind of felt like, you know, there were some things I weren't happy with and I just didn't want to make the same mistakes again. So it was very much like this time we should do it. This thing, this thing, and this thing. I don't want to do this, this, or this kind of thing. And that's, in the studio when we were recording this record, I was kind of like, I felt like a like a proper musician or artist or something. I felt like I'd been fumbling in the dark, kind of being like, is this fine? And this time around, I was like, this is good. And I have a lot more control over it being good. So do you think that kind of having, taking the confidence as you're writing this album puts you into a more comfortable creative space like you were able to be more comfortable in expressing yourself yeah i think so i definitely walked away with something like i'm proud of and i felt like i just don't think i could do anything different and that kind of is like a comfortability i think so like i just think that having this control definitely made me a lot more comfortable i yeah (laughs) well it's it's funny hearing you talk about like being uncomfortable or lacking the confidence because i mean when i hear your lyrics that you've put together like they're incredibly candid. Like, I mean, I know on Feral, you had a lot of character studies and things like that, but on, on this album, it seems like a fairly open book kind of thing is, I mean, were you writing about yourself on this album? Yeah, totally. I think I was just trying to catch up with a lot of themes and stuff that had kind of developed over the last few years. The thing is, it's like the character songs in the last record, they were character songs, a lot of those songs, because I couldn't figure out a way to express how I wanted to feel in a way. Stuff like like Asteroid and Christian Neurosurgeon, it's like they're very weird cryptic songs, but they're cryptic because there were things that I couldn't say that I was writing it through a character. And this time around, it was very much like very direct and it felt good to do that. As a songwriter, did it take extra courage to put yourself out there more in that way? Yeah, I think so. I've just, I've kind of developed like a bit of a healthier attitude to everything now. So I feel like quite stronger. It's not as scary as it used to be. I've hardened up over the years. <laughs> so I've got a bit of a shell. I mean, I've still got, you know, all the all the interpersonal and blah kind of stuff. But, you know, I do have a bit of a shell and a tiny bit of distance, which has helped me immensely. Well, the rawness and the how open you are with your lyrics, it has to, I'm sorry, I'm focusing on this. It just really struck me when I was listening. Like your fans have to react to this, right? Like they have to find some, I mean, like that has to be something like, what have they said to you? Like what are, what's been the reaction to this kind of rawness that you've shared? The people have Ted's reactions to it. I feel like when we play in Melbourne, a lot of people cry when we're playing because it's like, it's a very emotional thing. And we, elicit a very intense response out of people, which is mostly good. Well, I mean, like, explain intense response. Like, I cry at just about every single concert I go to. It's just I'm so moved by the the, the words and the, the songs. And, like, so what – can you kind of explain what you mean by the intense reaction? 
it's hard to explain because the music is so like intense. It has this rawness to it, as you said, but also it has this like sadness, but this is quite uplifting at the same time. So it kind of creates this sadness, which is people putting their hands in the air while crying. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's kind of like that kind of feeling. And it's pretty great to get that out of people. You know, it's like a very unique feeling I find. One thing that I like to think about is like, if I could go back in time and tell like the 16 year old version of myself, like, Hey, you get to see Paul McCartney and the Rolling Stones and stuff like that. Like, cause that was like my idols as a teenager for you to go back and like tell 16 year old self, Hey, you're going to elicit all these responses from your fans that adore your music. How do you think your younger self would react to something like that? I mean, when I was a 16, I probably just wanted to be in a really cool band, you know, <laughs> like a kind you of are like, in a really cool band. Yeah. But in a different way, you know, I'd rather okay. like, I don't know, something like Viagra Boys or something, you know, that kind of coolness. But um, this is a very different thing. But, like, I think I cannot complain for doing, like, I think I'd be proud of myself for sure. I think I'd be like, what? Yeah. Kind of like, it's kind of crazy. You do think that sometimes when you're, you're playing with a band you like or you're, you're in some big theatre somewhere and you're like, wow. Well, you played the Sydney Opera House, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like, as an American music fan, I'm like, holy crap! Like, that's like, that's one of the like monoliths of music places. I mean, like, how was that? It was amazing. It was so good. It was like, especially because like coming out of like having done nothing for a couple of years, it was kind of like, wow, you know, because yeah. that is like, I mean, when you think of Australia, you think of the Sydney Opera House. Yeah, it's like it should be like <laughs> on the postcards and stuff almost. Like, I mean, it's yeah. crazy. Do you feel that like the lyrics on Brainworms are your most intimate ones that you've put out so far? Uh yeah. I'm just trying to think. There's a lot of intimate ones on the first record, but in different in a different way. I think there's all different layers of it. I think it's hard. The intimacy has different shapes and stuff. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's beautiful. I love that. So how have the fans reacted to this album specifically so far and just kind of how differently you did it, approached it? I think it's been good. I think it's like there's always going to be people who prefer your old stuff and there's always going to be people who would prefer that you're in a new metal band or something. But there's the people that I kind of care about liking, like the kind of people who connect to it have really appreciated it, I think. I'm kind of in that kind of period now where the album's been out for like a month or so, so I'm kind of like, it's kind of died down a bit and I'm just kind of like, was that, was it good? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think it's, I think everything's been going really well. I, I get worried every time we release something, I kind of have a bit of like a back and forth with, in my brain because it's kind of scary putting yourself out there to people and kind of exposing yourself. And of course, like you'll get really lovely things said about you, but you also get like a bunch of really nasty things said about you and you kind of have to like deal with that. And so I think now I'm in a good place. I think now it's like, now that it's just kind of died down a bit, yeah, I think everything's gone well. Does that suck all the excitement out of releasing a new album for you? Is knowing that you're going to have this onslaught of potential negativity, does that lower or does that deter you wanting to release more material? Uh, only for an hour. <laughs> okay. I'm glad it doesn't yeah. affect you any more than that. But I do, I do, I'm very cautious of it. I think any artist is very cautious that, especially like any female musician is, is cautious that like you're going to get, you're going to get some shit. And yeah, it's just kind of part and parcel with that. So yeah. 
Have you ever had like a really great line in a song and you thought people are going to tear me apart? I've got to take it out. Like, I mean, has that ever happened? No, no, it hasn't. I, I, I tend to pit pull my bad lines into the songs. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd like stuff like the giant snake on this record. I was worried that would take that the wrong way because, you know, Ivan Milat is like a very famous serial killer in Australia. And the kind of thing that was kind of like, am I going too far with this? Because I don't want to be sensational for the sake of being sensational. But I felt like it was important for the song. And it seems like everybody that everybody I've talked to about it is like kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. I was worried because, you know, sometimes you can, you can upset people, and, but it seems like I haven't upset anybody. Well, I mean, I see that was one of the songs that really stood out to me when I listened to it as well. And it, it was more so just kind of, there's a band called Opus Kink in the UK. It's a jazz punk band, but I was talking to the lead singer about just like kind of like the value of art and things like that. But it, again, the the purpose of music is not just purely entertainment, but it's to challenge us and to put different thoughts inside our heads. And, and, I, and that's kind of what I walked away from that song thinking is like, you're putting a new perspective on this. You're encouraging people to think, look at this in a different light than what, people would otherwise and i think that's a, that's a great thing when artists challenge listeners like that yeah and i've always kind of make like snappy imagery like i've you know i've had lots of wild imagery in my head and I've, I've spoken about things in a very intense way but the thing is you don't know this when you're sitting in your room writing it or you're even when you're playing it with the band like in the rehearsal space you don't know what's going to happen when you put that on a record yeah so it's it's always a bit scary but at the same time, like, I just don't want to do boring shit. <laughs> I mean, that's a good, you've brought up the word intensity in your performance and your writing several times. So like, where does that intensity stem from? Like what in you kind of like pushes that intensity out? Um, I've had a pretty insane life. Um, I think it comes from like, just living this long. Good for you. I'm proud of you. I'm happy you did. You're doing a great job. Fantastic. A plus. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just not everybody is intense as me. I think it's just, uh, yeah, just history and mm-hmm. stuff. Well, I mean, does is songwriting cathartic for that intensity then? is I mean, is it an outlet that you find valuable? I mean, obviously you pursued a career with it, but like. Yeah, it is. The songwriting in itself isn't always because like, you know, you have like a lot of, of doubt and imposter syndrome when you're writing the stuff down when it starts to become a song and it becomes like a whole thing and then you start performing it to people that's where i get the catharsis from actually performing it it's it's really good like you, you sort of play and then you've gotten all these demons out of you it's it's fun especially because the songs it's sort of like some of them have got so much room in them that if something's going on with me then like i can sort of sing through some of those songs because some of those songs are quite simple that i can sort of latch onto them like a leech and use that kind of song to kind of express how I'm feeling on the day. Sometimes it's difficult in a good mood, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, of course. The good moods ruin everything, don't they? But the, you talked earlier about waiting more towards like the deadline to finish writing a song. Do you think that imposter syndrome is pushing you into that waiting for so long to finish stuff? Yeah, yeah. I have trouble with the sound of things. I definitely have like other people's, you know, you mentioned the worst person, the worst critic you can imagine in your head that sometimes I can hear their voices. I'm writing, you know, and don't always like the sound of my voice. 
like my voice is very unique and it does stuff in a different in a particular way that sometimes I get frustrated with being able to kind of explore other things with a because it is just you know it's it's suited for this kind of music and that holds me back a lot because it's just like sometimes you get quite I get quite frustrated with it and I have to like after really being in a good mood a good state of mind to kind of be like okay I feel like I can do this today uh, again, I, I think you're being too hard on yourself. I think your voice is one of the defining features of the band and the songs. And I mean, that's like one of the th- things that I've picked up on was the guitar tone in Giant Snake and just how much I love that guitar tone, but how much your voice reflects that guitar tone that you use. I mean, does that, do you think about like the guitar tone pairing with your voice when you're writing things like that? Yeah. Yeah. Something we've always we've always kind of thought about, I think it's like that, that initially it doesn't happen like that, but when we go into the rehearsal space, that's a lot to do with the the band and with Ruben and me and how our guitars sound together, which is good because we've kind of like, we've changed all the stuff. We've changed guitars and we've changed the pedals and stuff, but we still have a kind of like mode of where everything should sit. You know, he has a kind of very bassy rhythm. I have this like jangly vibrato twang and the voice really sits. It's weird that the voice sits really nice on top of that but it it does it works it's great so i mean it seems like you brainworms is kind of like a reset for rvg in a lot of ways like it kind of seems like you're for one thing you found a new sense of confidence in your writing you had a band member ousted it sounds like through vicious and maulings and gladiator style coliseum fighting and all that <laughs> it, you know just typical band stuff but i mean it just seems kind of like it was a new day and you found some new freedom because you even talked about like a the different production that you did for this album. It wasn't so much lo-fi. So, I mean, is this kind of a like breaking out album or is it just more like this is just the next step in the lineage? Uh, I think it's a bit more of a breaking out album. After, you know, doing this for so long, you kind of get trapped in, in sort of sort of certain ways of being in a band. And I think now we definitely have this freedom where it's like we can just do what we want. We just don't. We can just play whatever style of music where well, I'm already thinking about the next one, which is great. Like, what am I going to do this time? Like, I don't want to do the same thing again because the same thing is I've done the same thing for a while. And it's like, it, it's exciting. Yeah. It feels like a new band. It feels like a, a fresh start. I'm pretty happy with everything as it is at the moment. Well, so were you feeling like stagnated when you were writing and recording, putting out Feral then? Yeah. Just cause it, it took a long time. We recorded that album twice wow and yeah we recorded it just after we'd gone to the states for the first time when we played like 2018 i reckon like that long ago and we recorded it and it didn't come out very well like i don't think we were a good band we just we tried to do it like we did brainworms but we weren't kind of ready to do something like that and yeah then it took it took us until like a while later until we managed to like record it again and we, yeah, we played it very safe in a way, but like Victor saved that record from us because I feel like if it wasn't for him, then it would have been a very, I, I don't know if we would be a band even. It's just kind of like, you know, so there's all these, these these things going on and then it was like a bit of drama, like putting it out and finding a place for it. And, and yeah, it just kind of, I was just exhausted by that. And, you know, you change as a person over a couple of years as well and then you'll find yourself like, anticipating this album coming out that you've kind of already moved past in a way and so coming up to this record I really wanted everything to be reasonably fresh and like even though I was writing sporadically the last couple of years 
that a lot of the songs that came together were not were written like just before we kind of recorded them or like we'd worked on in the studio lyrically as well. And there was this idea of doing something completely fresh. How has Brainworms inspired you to already start thinking about the next project? I just think it's like now it's just like I can really do anything. Like we've got a rehearsal tonight and it's just kind of like we never really usually jammed as a band. It's always been very much like my songs and then the band kind of builds on top of them and we change tiny little bits. But it's just like tonight it's just like let's just jam. Let's just like just make some noise, which is something we don't really do. We've never really done as a band. I just I like the idea of just starting to do something from like a really base element, just kind of building it up. And I don't know, we've talked about all this kind of weird stuff that we want to do. We kind of talked about, you know, making a country record or making something like that. Just, there's just, it feels like we're all on the same page as well. It feels like we're on the same page that like we can just, you know, someone comes into the rehearsal with like an auto harp or something. We're like, okay, that sounds great. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, does it feel like the next project will be more collaborative than, I mean, definitely the first two, but it seems like you're moving towards a more collaborative entity. I'd like to do that more, I think. Yeah, experimenting, really. I mean, I imagine the next record will be, like a lot of it will be a lot more collaborative, but there'll still be my songs that I, I write in private. <laughs> As a dictator of this band? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, fair and honest dictator. <laughs> hey, that's the best kind, right? We could all use one yeah. of those. <laughs> well, I do want to say, as we kind of wrap up, I love the album. I think it's really, really, really great. There's a lot of really great songs on there. My personal favorite is Squid. If somebody's looking for a starting point, I don't know if how well that song represents the album, but that's my favorite one on the album. I, I love it. I think that's my favorite as well. I feel accomplished now. So, well, Rami, thanks so much for talking tonight. Thanks for this morning for you. But I, I really appreciate it. I love Brainworms. I think people should check it out. It's really worth a listen. Thank you so much for chatting today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I'm Lance Ingram, and this is Yesterday's Concert. Thanks for listening to another episode of my show. For more live music podcasting, check out our other show, Jam Journals. If you're feeling kind, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And check us out on all the social media platforms. Email us at info at yesterdaysconcert.com or visit our website, yesterdaysconcert.com. So until next time, give us a subscribe, tell your friends, and most importantly, take care of your shoes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.